It's the Radius Podcast, recorded live from New York City. Welcome. Welcome indeed. A very warm welcome. This is the Radius interview series, and uh, I'm delighted to say that our first guest is uh, Union Real Time co-founder, none other than James DeGore. Thank you. Legend. The legend has arrived, is in the building, and uh, thank you for taking the long trip from your desk here 14 foot yes so we're going to we're going to talk to James and we're going to get some insight and we're going to find out how this company started and um let's get into it okay my first question to you is um your school days where did you go what did you study what did you what, what were you good at uh, well, it was a really boring start, but I studied Skidmore College economics. Spent most of my time playing lacrosse, though. So. so you went for sport. I would say so. Okay. So you excelled at lacrosse. Arguably. Arguably, can't remember anything else about your time there. <laughs> um, so I know you moved to you moved to New York City shortly after graduation. How did that happen? How did you make that decision? Yeah, I was coaching lacrosse in central Pennsylvania, selling milk to pay the bills. All my friends were in New York. Having selling a- milk? Yeah, I was, I was a milkman. This is the guy that first thing in the morning is, takes the, what do you do? Yeah, no, I would, yeah, I would, uh, well, I'd meet the truck. I'd meet the truck at the grocery store and I'd, right. and I'd fight for uh, shelf space. Oh, right. Yeah, if you want a little insight in how to like, you know, like grocery stores work and, um, if you're a milkman, you got to get there early and you got to fight for the space. Yeah, you basically remove your competitor's milk. You put it back, keep it in the back cooler so it doesn't go bad. I mean, you don't, you don't want to ruin no them. food waste. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, you like fight for um, uh, for shelf space. You got facings. They're called facings. The more right. facings you have, the more sales you do. So, you know, right. I get I get in there and block and tackle. It's just, a, it's a... It's a it's a volume game. The more stores you hit on a given day, the more milk you sell. Amazing! I never knew it worked like that. Yeah. Well, the other thing, crates. Those are golden. If you get an opportunity to, you know, maybe put a few extra milk crates on your pallet. Yeah. For the guy to take back. It's look it's look favorably upon. <laughs> it's a real life skill. Okay, so. Um, but yeah, my friends were my friends were in New York having right. the time of their lives. So I was like, I got I got to go to New York. You had serious FOMO by this point. Yes. So what was your first job when you got to when you got to the city? Well, after three three months on the couch, it was um, <laughs> it was whose couch? Uh, S- Scott and Newt, college buddies. Shout they out! They put me up. Uh, it was a. You know, financial representative at Fidelity. Kind of oh, like okay. Sales job. Okay. You enjoyed that? No. No disrespect to Fidelity? Yeah. Some no great... disrespect to Fidelity. It yeah. was just, um, you know, I'm not cut out for um, that. customer relations. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. Um, now, I know you were, um, at some point you became a research analyst that, Presumably wasn't at Fidelity, but you moved on to... Yeah, I got, got my CFA and just, like, started applying to... Well, I got, excuse me, level one. 
it's many levels. It's very complicated. Right. I only got one. No, I think I got two, but I got one first. Started applying to every hedge fund I could. And this one called me in. And uh yeah, they gave me they gave me a shot. But he was like, you know, what you should do is just take a two week break from your current job in case it doesn't work out. And I was like, what do you mean? Why isn't it gonna work out? Well, a couple of days later I found out why. But Right. Um Right. That was that great. They gave to... me a shot. I was there for like a year. Great. During the crisis. Trading. Okay. So it was a real baptism of fire. Oh, yeah. Um, now, in case people don't know, you know, we some of our uh, clients are, are hedge funds. So and obviously, Corey, Principal Union Real Time, and yourself have uh, careers in this uh, sector. But um, for people that don't know, what, do, what does... What does a research analyst do? Well, you do you do a lot of you do a lot of research, but you're basically <laughs> you're just you're, you're trying to find uh, you're trying to identify changes in a market inflections. I mean, the easiest examples, you know, if you're a tech firm and you're not you don't have a component in the iPhone today, but you're going to get in with a component like a semiconductor chip for okay graphics. Yep. Then, uh, I mean, you're gonna make a lot of money, right? I mean, so you're the guy that has to find out that that's gonna happen for some for some yeah, company. Like, are they gonna use Face ID or right. Touch ID or they upgrading their display to OLED? That kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, so I'm like, obviously, I've never worked at a hedge fund. I don't really know how this works. But um, what does somebody tell? Like on your first day, does somebody say you? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're in tech. So just like go and find out what's going on. Do people get assigned industries, or is it a free for all? Or and like in the second part of that question is, if you find like a real nugget, how do you? What, when do you take your idea to say this is a great trade? Yeah, well, I mean, if you find, if you find, I mean, if you find a nugget or you find something you're excited about, something disruptive. Yep. Um. Yeah, you just go after it. You do a bunch of research, pull it together. I mean, there's a there's a process, but it essentially entails doing a lot of research. Okay. And so you're super confident. You take it to your boss or somebody, right, and say, "Yeah, what do you want to do with this?" And they say, "This is yeah." This I think is- over the next couple of years, this business is going to be valued, you know, significantly higher. You do the valuation if it's ten dollars today, right? I think it's going to thirty. You know, right. It's exciting. Right. That's very, that's, uh, that's interesting. Now I know that, um, your hedge fund days have been very, um, what's the word? They have definitely shaped your character to some degree and some of your insights come out through, um, sports analogies often. Um, so my question is, what do you think team sports can teach a person about general work ethic yeah well um i mean on the lacrosse field i feel like you i mean you learn you learn to grind you learn that you know the sport can throw anything at you whether it's the weather or the opponent and you learn to sort of just figure it out grind through bad days so um that's probably that's probably the biggest thing, but you, but you definitely 
you know, learning to work with other people is, is a big thing. You can yep. accomplish a lot more um, as a team than you can as an individual. So bringing together different talents is very important. Right. Now, I know also in one of your other roles, you worked an overnight, you worked a graveyard shift uh, for about a year, which sounds yeah. pretty tough. I've done shift work, but it was varied, so I felt like I saw some sunlight. Um, but how important are those kinds of jobs, would you say, you know, when they run sociable hours, the team's a little bit tough. How important are those kind of roles uh, for kind of shaping somebody's character and shaping their career? Like, yeah. what, did the, what did that do for you? Did you come out of that experience feeling like, you know, you could, you were a better person, you could take more on, you could achieve more, or did it, was it, did it kind of break you down? Well, I mean, it, def- it definitely broke me down, but you do learn that, uh, um, you know, job needs to get done and you got to find, you got to find ways to survive and figure it out. And, you know, yeah, that means grinding it out at night to, uh, to accomplish something as a team, then, um, that's what you got to do. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was February, 2016, um, I think we formed Union Real Time. Um, and we didn't really know what we were doing on day one. But I kind of want to cut to now and ask Do you what... Is uh, the implication that we know what we're doing now? There is some implication. It's to the... It's, well, I'll leave it up to the listener's discretion. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what surprised you the most about starting this business? Oh my goodness, I have no idea. Many things. Um, you feel like you get used to it, or do you feel like there's all like there's a surprise every day? Well, I mean, there's always surprises, but I don't know if that in and of itself is a surprise. Meta. I guess that's kind of what we signed up for. Yeah, it's, you sign, kind of sign up for never really knowing. Yeah, yeah. What would you say the one difference is? Um, now that you've done both of these things, what's the one difference between being employed and being the employer? Well, I mean, the buck stops with you. I mean, you just, there's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, if you're not, it's not getting done, you got to do it yourself. And right. if you don't, then. Right. Is there, so interesting, is there a, uh, a degree, is there a difference between, the kind of responsibility you have when you have employees compared to when you had that re- really great idea uh, and you researched it as the head front and they put a position on that was crazy and you kind of like felt some degree of pressure. What's the difference between those two types of situations? I mean, they're, they're yeah. I mean, they're both, they're, they're actually not that, they're not too different. Right. I mean, I took, I took a lot of, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you have, you know, if you got, Fifty million dollar investment um, going. You take a lot of responsibility for it. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, they're, they're actually they're actually not too different, right? <laughs> yeah, and we obviously have a couple of employees that we pay that sort of money, so it's <laughs> it's the it's very similar. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, you know, you you we you mention lacrosse a lot and these sports analogies, but uh, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself if you could go back in time? You know, there's little James coming off the field; he's in tears because he got a stick in the chest or whatever happens in lacrosse, and you're there on the sideline and you're like, "Hey, little James, don't worry about it," because what would you say? Um, I mean, nothing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd say it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Just keep moving. That's, that's the biggest thing. You just gotta, uh, you know, keep getting up and keep getting after it. Right. These things, obviously in hindsight, 99% of it doesn't matter at all. It's just that tenacity to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now you were famously quoted recently saying that, Everyone uh, at some point should work for a hedge fund. <laughs> should work for a hedge fund manager. I don't know whether this was after an intern we had or something like that. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's the driving factor behind that statement? Yeah, I think uh, I mean a trading desk is a, a great place desk. to learn. Like my yeah, I mean my son someday is going to do an internship on a trading desk, if nothing else, because it's a great environment where you just learn to swim or sink and you learn to prioritize. You learn to think dynamically. You learn to get things done quickly. Yep. Um, and as I guess it's also an environment where there's just no excuses and you learn, yeah, you learn to deal with pressure. Um, so I think, I think it's a great environment for learning some very solid life skills. Right. Yeah. Um, now, as you know, we uh, pride ourselves here on being agile, being agile has contributed to some of our more significant successes. Um, but how would you say you cultivate that type of culture in a, in a, in a, in a new company? So, I mean, I guess it's easier when it's a small company, but how do you maintain that as the company grows? Yeah, I think the, I think the biggest way to maintain or to create a culture of agility is to lead by example. Um, I think many people are surprised at ad, at how agile we are, and can be yeah. perhaps a little uncomfortable for them. But as they, you know, see how you can solve problems, and you know, being relentlessly creative, right? It's very important. Um, and seeing, yeah, and just seeing results from it, I think is, is important. You also have to, you also have to empower people to, um, you have to, you have to create an environment where people are allowed to make decisions, right? Make mistakes. Um, yeah. you can't stifle, you can't, and um, on one hand, encourage it, but stifle it. So, right. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I mean, the word agile describes, uh, you know, a software development methodology you know certainly on the tech side this is something um people in this uh in this space are, are very much used to and it's been important for us to not or to embrace throwing stuff away that we did three months ago because you know it's just not getting the job done anymore and it could be three months it could be three weeks and that's just one of the tougher parts of staying agile 
Yeah, it can come at a cost, I guess, what you're saying. Right. Um, you can't be romantic about getting comfortable in one position. No. Uh, which segues lovely to my next question. What's the one mentality that can kill a business? And I kind of think we've answered it. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be the opposite of agility. Um, yeah. To quote a famous philosopher, you must always be finding ways to put yourself out of business. Yeah, who said that? Or your competition will do it for you. This is true. Disrupt or be disrupted. Uh, what are some of the lessons uh, that you've managed to take from other entrepreneurs that you admire since 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 we started this thing? Oh, well, my favorite entrepreneur is Elon Musk by a mile these days anyway. I okay. mean, there's nothing more exciting than this story right now. Twitter is, I mean, I'm not very, I am fairly rarely on social media. I don't really get it per se. So I'm not the right. best to speak on this topic, but I think what he is doing on Twitter is just um, ridiculously incredible. I mean, he's just dominating the scene. They've got like the best brand, the best auto brand in the entire world. And they've spent zero on marketing. And I mean, it's right. almost entirely attributable to his Twitter game. How would you describe what he does on Twitter at the moment? Cause obviously Famously, got in a lot of trouble for something he said. So, how do you? Yeah, I think. Well, I think he rides this. I think he rides this line. With well, I think he's he's ultra um, authentic. I mean, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. I mean, he just says what's on his mind, and people. I mean, people love it. People love that transparency. Um, and um, as long as he can stay out of trouble, it's going to. I mean, it's going to be huge for him. It already has been, but. The thing I like about him the most and his company is their tenacity. I mean, they've just got ridiculous grit. They've got right. a goal. They try and, and they just go after it and um, uh, are just extremely creative in how they solve these problems and, um, you know, find solutions. Right. Right. It's just, generally speaking, uh, other commentary from the, the industry would never have thought somebody would have the audacity to do half the things that he has thought about doing and executed on. Yeah, I mean... Which makes him extremely dangerous for the industry. Yeah, I mean, for years they've been saying it's all impossible and he just keeps proving them wrong, but it's not without a ridiculous amount of hard work and right. creativity. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's an interesting one. Um, for a startup in 2019... Is there any place for a business plan? I can't remember if we ever had a business plan. We may have done. I would say we went into 2019 with a plan. Right. But does a startup need one today? If you were starting again right now, would you, would you go to businessplan.com? That's not, we should, that's not a, we're not affiliated with businessplan.com. <laughs> uh, I don't know about, I don't know about a business plan. I mean, uh, James Altucher, you follow him a little bit. Yeah. He's got some good things. I mean, he says a lot of crazy things too, but one of his rules is never start a business without a customer. Right. And so I that's think a that, solid piece of yeah, advice. I mean, if you've got a customer, then you don't really need a plan. Right. 
the customer will probably write right. the plan for you exactly. effectively. Exactly. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I imagine most, uh, if anybody listens to the podcast, this podcast, most people will know that we are, we have products in the self storage industry. Um, but I think it's an interesting story how we even got started in storage because day one of Union Real Time, we didn't know anything about it. No, we didn't. We knew nothing. F- yeah, I mean, we started. We started with we started with a client without, but without a plan. <laughs> right. Uh, stumbled on storage. Corey uh, was all over this. And, um, you know, we did a, we did a ton of research on it Yep. and basically, uh, the two of us just looked to you to, uh, help us with some data and really, that's right. Um, that's right. So yeah, for some, so for some context, like the, the first two weeks or something that we were with, we started this full time, Corey was still, still doing research elsewhere and he landed on this thing with storage and, you know, we talked about it and uh, we realized that there was kind of a bit of a, a, a hole with the quality of data that was... There was definitely a white space. I mean, a white just, space. Yeah, there was just very little data there to do our research. So the research was a lot harder, but once we did it, then there was no way to, like, monitor fundamentals in the industry, which is very important. Right. Um, so that quickly turned into our advocate product. Yeah, it took off yeah. real quick. Yeah. I mean, you built that product in two weeks and we were selling it. Respect. <laughs> yeah. Two weeks. Agile. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how important would you say um, technology is in this? Because this is quite a traditional vertical of real estate, I feel. How important is technology in, in this self-storage arena? Well, as, it, as it relates to data specifically, I mean, if we were to solve this problem without solve, if we were able, yeah, I mean, there's no way we were tracking all this data or aggregating these data sets or getting this visibility into the market that we have today without technology. I mean, it's just a highly fragmented industry with information all over the place. And right. um, for our specific business model, I mean, we are a tech company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, technology has famously disrupted many, many, many industries. Um, the majority of which, you know, the rate of that disruption, people never really uh, could have estimated. But do you see real estate more of a slower? Is it kind of disrupting slower? Is it kind of like a slow burn with with storage and real estate? Or well, we're, we're definitely a slow burn. Uh, but yeah, I think that, I think generally speaking, technology and real estate has been slower than many other, I mean, it's certainly not media. Right. I mean, digital media technology is ridiculously further advanced. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. How do you think you find a good balance between trying to be disruptive and trying to quote unquote fit in because not everybody welcomes the change 
And not everybody welcomes the pace of change. So it's like an educational issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, well, we have to stay, I mean, we have to stay, number one, you got to stay true to what you believe in what you're trying to accomplish. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, the market at times has, um, not embraced our approach, but, um, you know, slowly but surely they seem to be coming around, coming around. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the unique facets of storage that, that make it an interesting asset class to track or. Oh yeah. Well, for, for me, the, the reason I got excited about storage is that when you, when you think about the product itself, it's just a, you're just selling a box. It's a pure commodity and it's yep. for, as an economist, it's, it's all about supply and demand. So, um, it's a, it's a fun industry to analyze, uh, you know, you're tracking supply, you're tracking demand, you're understanding why supply may increase or decrease, why are the incentives to there to build or not build, um, why the incentives there to consume storage or not consume it. Right. And, um, yeah, you can take a view on all this stuff and start to predict it. So, yeah. Um, what are some of the more, uh, we've talked a bit about, you know, our own technology and the way that data has helped us build this business, but what are some of the more, um, exciting innovations you've seen? Well, there's a couple things going on, but I think, I mean, probably the most exciting for us specifically as a company would be, um, you know, things like things uh, that, you know, OpenTech are doing, JNS, PTI, where you're just putting like Internet of Things is starting to to be adopted in, in self-storage. And um, for us, that means just a lot more data. So, right. Uh, yeah, you know, there's some cool things going on with, uh, you know, security and uh, kiosks and yeah, remote entry and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing, you know, we're doing things today. We've got exciting products here to announce over the coming weeks and months. But you sort of continue to look, further, look out further. I mean, there's just an endless moat of things you can do with data and self-storage. Right. Surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we're three years into this now. Uh, we're coming up to three years. What motivates you in the in the day to day? Yeah, well, I mean, I I, th- I think just getting up and um, uh, you know, proving to ourselves that we can do it and winning in the marketplace. Um, yeah, just you know, proving others wrong and uh, you know, creating something that that hasn't been done before and right. um, you know, sort of proving that that is possible. Is possible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That definitely makes it exciting. Um, well, listen, it's been, uh, this has been great. Thanks for coming all the way from your desk. I've got one last question. Uh, it's super deep. I hope <laughs> you can give us great insight into the mind of James DeGorta. But uh, last question <laughs> is um, what would you say is more important Money or legacy? Wow. Can I, well. You can't find a friend, no. <laughs> okay, I'll preface it then. Um, 
I mean, I'm not that concerned with legacy in the fact that I don't care if people remember my name. Hopefully this is the last podcast I do. It's speaking definitely of, not the last podcast you'll do. Speaking of which, where, where is, uh, where's Anastasia and Teresa? But they were supposed to be doing this. I mean, that, that time is coming. But, uh, we'll see what their take is on money and legacy, but we're starting at the top of the tree. You're number one. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, well, the importance, the exciting thing about money is the opportunities that it provides you. I mean, we, um, you know, we've got employees that need to make a living and we want to grow and create new opportunities and do new things. And that part is exciting. So I would yep. take, you know, that opportunity to be constantly be innovating and trying new things and doing new things over legacy. So I'm choosing opportunity over legacy. Money is the enabler. James, it's been amazing. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be very back soon. We'll, we'll be back very soon. You've been listening to the Radius Podcast. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe today and stay up to date on self-storage. And come and hang out with us at RadiusPlus.com. We'd love to hear from you.